gone, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. And then, uh, then I maybe even start panicking. And those doubts and worries, and, and even gone on long enough, anger and uh, blame can take over. That's where the rubber often really hits the road in our daily lives, isn't it? What, what, what is, what's happening to my comfort zone? Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, I have never read a poem extolling the virtues of pain, nor seen a statue erected in its honor, nor heard a hymn dedicated to it. Pain is usually defined as unpleasantness. Christians, he goes on to say, don't really know how to interpret pain. If you pinned them against the wall in a dark, secret moment, many Christians would probably admit that pain was God's one mistake. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a better way of coping with the world's dangers. What do you think about that statement by Philip Yancey? Is he right? I think he is right in the sense that pain and affliction and suffering and hardship and adversity are often seen as enemies to us as we think through life. They are enemies that, that we have to face. They, they invade us. And when we see any of them coming down the road, we do our best to avoid them. I, I, you know, we skirt the issue or we don't say anything when maybe we should. And when our comfort zones get squeezed, we can also get angry. We get discouraged. And maybe even we can start to lose hope. But we should never be caught off guard with suffering and adversity, should we? Uh, Why? Why should we never be caught off guard? Because according to the Bible, it's a necessary part of life. We don't like it, but pain and adversity and getting out of our comfort zones is actually how we grow in our life. It's how we grow in our character. Honestly, I think it's the only way that we grow. You know, if there's nothing hard happening in our life, we don't work very hard. You know, we always say, you hear it every day, no pain, no gain when it comes to our physical bodies, when it comes to our health, all of that. And it's true of our spiritual life and of our characters and our personalities as well. Of course, there is a tension between trying to accept the pain that we have as as being allowed by God in our lives while at the same time trying to overcome it. I understand that tension. This is why this section of Paul's letter is so important to us. Having the proper perspective on pain is what will allow us to flourish uncomfortably, to flourish in the midst of discomfort. Um, Just like I'm sure the Thessalonians did, we can find real help in the truth that suffering is both inevitable and essential. Now, I know, I know there are churches and there are pastors and there are ministries all across the world that claim that if you only had enough faith, that you would never have to face pain. That if you only 
uh, had enough faith that God would answer your prayers and you would be healthy and you would be wealthy and God would just simply provide all of that and you would be happy. Or maybe, maybe if you only gave enough money to their ministry, yeah, that's it. If you just gave enough financially, you would be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Or, or maybe... Maybe you give, you know, maybe if you would just give this one-time gift, we'll send you some holy water. And if you spread that along somewhere in your house, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Or we have these little swatches of cloth that, that have been specially blessed. And if you just send us a donation of $20, we'll send this to you and you can tack it up on your wall and it will, it will just change your life. And, and that if you aren't healthy and wealthy and happy, then you obviously don't have enough faith. So you need to be more faithful. But that's called the prosperity gospel. I'm sure everybody knows it about it and has heard about it, but it's not biblical. It's not true. Now, God absolutely wants to bless us, and he does. And, and he, he wants to answer our, pray, our, our prayers, but... We will all experience pain and suffering in life. That's your first point in your notes this morning. It's just a reality. And, and there is no reason for us to think that there is some sort of alternate reality where if we just lived the right way, we wouldn't experience pain and suffering and, and tragedy. And what I'm talking about today is not consequences of sin. Okay, I'm talking about everyday trials, suffering, struggles, uh, people coming against us and opposing us for what we believe, not because of something that we have done wrong ourselves. Now, of course, there is, there is an alternate reality called heaven uh, that, that we will one day experience, but this side of heaven, Paul told the, the Philippians, for instance, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, so there is this faith, there's this belief, but also to what? Suffer for him. Now that doesn't mean that God causes evil or sin or even temptations necessarily. You know, we could argue the difference between temptations and tests. Uh, See, 1 John 1, 5 clears that up. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So, so sin and, and temptation doesn't come from him. But because of sin, because we live in a broken down world, suffering is in this world. It's a given. We can't get away from it. God then leverages that suffering for his good in your life and in mine. And that, that's the beautiful thing about this, is we're all going to experience suffering. We're all going to experience pain. And that pain, we don't just have to endure that and get through that and get to the end so we don't feel pain anymore. God uses that positively in your life and in, my, in mine to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Now, that's if we will let it. See, in our aversion to pain, we sometimes refuse to learn anything from it. We just suck it up till we get to the end of it and we go on stress-free back into uh, the illusion of comfort 
and control. And we're no better for it because we refused to surrender to what God wanted to teach us in the, in the midst of that. Uh, the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 67, writes this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. So in that moment in time, God used whatever affliction it was to get the psalmist's attention so that then he could learn God's decrees uh, and obey his words. Uh, verse 71, same, same psalm, It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. It's good. It's good. Verse 75, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Adversity causes us to slow down we, we, and, and look inside. It must. And then consider Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now, I don't know what he's talking about there in that last line, but here's the point. Crooked isn't always bad. Uh, if a dog's hind leg wasn't crooked, he wouldn't be able to run the way that he does. There is a purpose in that. When God makes us change directions in our life, though it pushes us and moves us out of what we was our comfort zone, it is good, and we need to, to, to be happy about that. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made one just as he made the other. God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And, and God also can cause it not to rain. Now Jesus talking to his disciples, his followers, uh, the ones who would build the church, his chosen missionaries, Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, Jesus says, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So here's the thing. How on earth, where do you get the theology and the philosophy that if you just have enough faith, if you just do the right things, you will always be healthy, wealthy, and happy? When Jesus himself said... In this world, you will face trouble. Now, maybe there is the fact that, may, though I may not be happy, I can have joy and peace in the midst of that trouble. And, and that's what I hope that we understand at the end of today's message. Chuck Swindoll wrote this, God uses hardship, trials, suffering, and pain in this fallen world to form and fashion us into the image of his son. And the Thessalonians provide an excellent example of how we are to respond when our comfort zone gets squeezed. You see, the, the Thessalonians didn't stumble across this pain and suffering. Uh, Paul didn't preach prosperity to them and then they found out the truth later on down the road after Paul had to, to leave them. No, Paul prepared them for it. 
Paul told them. He warned them. And then they experienced it firsthand. If you haven't turned to 1 Thessalonians yet, please turn your Bible, in your Bibles, to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So we could stand it no longer, Paul said. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one, I think he's meaning himself, no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. As you're experiencing right now, we said this was going to happen, and it did. And in telling them that this is going to happen, his whole point and purpose in that was so that they would recognize it when it showed up and they wouldn't be surprised by it. They would know that it's coming. They, they needed face-to-face care and encouragement is why Paul sent Timothy. Tim, Paul, was, Paul was worried. I mean, it's not like he could call him on the phone or FaceTime him or, you know, drop him some emails. He's been now months away from them wondering how this fledgling church, these people who, who genuinely came to Christ, what is happening in Thessalonica? Because it was the rising up of this opposition that chased them out of town. And now you have the residents there who, who came to Christ and they are experiencing the exact same thing. And Paul was worried. So he sent Timothy He didn't just send them a letter by courier. He sent Timothy because he knew that they needed face-to-face care. They needed face-to-face encouragement. And we do too. Our relationships within the church body serve as just that. As we continue along in this world of chaos and struggle, may we encourage one another. We need it. Let's spend time together. Let's sharpen one another. Let's support one another. Let's stand in the gap in prayer for others. Because we all experience pain. We all experience suffering. Paul reminded them that he and the other missionaries kept telling them that they would be persecuted. And it turned out that way as you well know. That's truth for us. It shouldn't surprise us. Number two, knowing that something is coming our way helps us to be aware that affliction, uh, to be ready when they come. Being aware that affliction is coming helps us to be ready when they come. Now, I, I watched this video this week of a, a guy and, and he and his wife, she was asleep, sound asleep in the car and they're driving down the interstate, and there's one of those semi-trucks that's hauling another semi-tractor backwards, right? So the front of the truck, is, though they're going this way, the front of the truck is facing the car. So he sets up his camera in his car, and he's been waiting literally months, and in fact, he says over a year, to have the right situation to be able to do this. So he, he, sets, this, he, he, he sets this sound to his radio that is going to blare a horn from a truck 
And he pulls up, you know, close to this truck. He hits the blare. He goes, ah! And his wife wakes up and sees that truck pointed at her. Now she laughs because she remembered when he said that he was going to do that to her one day. And finally he did. And she screamed and hollered and yelled. But see, that's, that's how we get scared, right? Uh, there's nothing, well, okay, if I, if, we, if, I, if I left the closet doors open when I go to bed and my wife wakes up in the middle of the night and sees the doors open, it, it freaks her out. I, this was years ago. It also freaks her out when she comes to get ready for bed and I'm standing on the other side of the closet door and she opens the doors. <laughs> See, when, when, when we're surprised, we're scared. When we get surprised by something, we get scared. And when our illusion of being in control disappears, we freak out. Our lives can crumble into chaos, like, like when a basketball team is playing the great, the game's going great, and all of a sudden they go to take the ball out and they realize that the other team has put on the full court press. And what happens generally? I don't care what level it is. When somebody suddenly throws on a full court press, the other, the other team that's now on offense trying to take the ball out, they lose their ever-living minds. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They, they like throw the ball into the other team and the other team scores, which is the point. Which is what the enemy intends to throw on the full court press and get us to lose our minds because we're now in this state of, of discomfort. But if we recognize that that's normal, that's just going to happen. If the coach prepares his team and they work all week long on a press breaker and everybody knows that when the coach yells press breaker, they know where to go and what to do, it's not quite as chaotic. They can, in fact, break the press. Satan's goal, the enemy's goal, is to get us scared, angry, and frazzled. And we need to know that that's coming and it helps when we're ready for that, when it actually does show up. And since Paul had to leave so quickly, he was wondering if they were ready enough. In verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, it's driving me crazy, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. While enduring trials, our faith can be shaken. We focus on the waves and the, store, uh, the storms. Uh, I don't care how many pithy memes you read on Facebook in the morning. When the rubber hits the road and life gets difficult, we can forget those little pithy sayings. And what we need to remember is the truth of God's word. And, and we need to be ready for it. But we can start questioning God. Doesn't he care for me anymore? Didn't he promise to never leave me nor forsake me? Yes, he did. And so the answer to that is no, he hasn't left you. Yes, he's still there because he hasn't left you. How, how can a good, powerful God let this happen? 
If, if God can stop this, why doesn't he? We like to ask those questions. And, and I'm not certain even if God gave us the answer, we would be satisfied with the answer to the question. Is it my fault that these things are happening to me? Okay, now the enemy has, has caused you to start questioning your own self and, 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 and to create those fears in me. Did, did, I, did I do something wrong to cause this? So think about this. How is your faith today? Where is your faith today? What sort of waves and storms are happening in your life and how have you been facing those? Have you been facing those with, with wondering, well, you know, obviously I'm not happy and I'm not at peace so this can't be, a, can't be of God. Or, or are you facing those things knowing that there's going to be trouble, but that God has given you the ability, the, the knowledge to be able to stand against that trouble and to have that peace and to continue to have that faith? Satan, the enemy, will use doubts to his advantage to steal, kill, and destroy. He he tries to get us separated from the truth. He tries to get us separated from those who will care for us and those who will encourage us. He squeezes us in hopes that we will fall apart and throw the ball away. Let's not. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When we face pain and suffering, which is every day, right? Where do we turn? We must turn to Jesus. We must turn to his truth. We must turn to his word, his ways. We must put on his yoke. Walk with him. They are all powerful. Those things, actions that we can take that will help us to flourish in times of discomfort. Which brings us to our final point this morning, and I think it's an important point. It's, it's this. There are two attitudes that we need to develop concerning suffering. Two attitudes that will help us stand strong in the face of persecution, suffering, hard times, whatever they might be. First of all is this. Having our comfort zone invaded as Christians is essential, not unfair. It's essential to your growth and to mine. It doesn't happen if our comfort zone is not invading. It's just the way it is. A body that isn't exercised becomes what? Weak and soft, doesn't it? As much as you want to just buy that gym membership and think that's somehow going to transform your body, there's action involved in that. A mind that isn't exercised becomes dull and slow. There's apps for that, I've been told. And maybe I should use them because sometimes I just can't think of things. But the older we get, we need to engage and work our minds. A career that isn't challenged becomes boring and mundane. 
And a faith that is lived out in comfort and eased is really no faith at all, right? Now, I don't like pain along with the next guy. In fact, I want to avoid it. But that attitude needs to change. I'm not saying run out there and create it. It's going to be there. And we need to be ready for it when it happens. My grandmother, when she was 90 years old, used to, um, she quilted them before, and I don't, I don't know how she did it. I just remember, she made these lap blankets. Just these little, little blankets for, she said, she's 90, right? She made them for the old people <laughs> at the nursing home. My grandmother, and, until the time, and she was in a nursing home just for a few weeks, I believe, lived on her own, drove on her own. My, my grandpa died when, I don't remember how many years, uh, I think, I want to say grandpa died in 79, grandma died in 93. She, you see, she was afraid that if she slowed down, it would be over. Why? It's the way the world works. When we sort of give up, see, we need to keep living. We need to keep working. We need to keep our faith alive. And we need to recognize that, that being pushed out of our comfort zone is not unfair. It's essential. It's necessary. Yancey rightly observes that, that pain is the gift that nobody wants. But it's a gift that we need to expect and accept in order to grow in faith, love, and hope. When the trials and temptations begin to flood in our lives, if we are there waiting and ready with the right attitude that they are essential to our growth and our faith, then we will be prepared to not just endure them, but to grow from them, to come out the other side a better me than I was when I went into it. We'll be prepared to endure they're sometimes devastating, but ultimately cleansing effects on our comfortable and cluttered lives. Our struggles enable us to identify with the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross on our behalf. And then that suffering also allows us to be able to walk alongside of other people who are suffering, who, who we can help them as somebody else helped us. To help them flourish uncomfortably too. And a second attitude that we need to have is that suffering hardships as soldiers in battle is expected, not unusual. Now, we've said it over and over and over again in the last year that, that we are at war, spiritually. I'm not talking political. I am talking spiritual. We are Literally at war. We are in a battle. We need the Holy Spirit-empowered armor on every day. And, and we need to recognize that it's just the way it is. During World War II, there was a saying that was known and uttered by many. Anyone here remember what that was? I don't think we have anybody who was alive during World War II and knew it. So 45, how old would you be? 60, 70, 80. Is there anybody in here over 85? Nobody. There used to be. Jerry's like, it's not me. <laughs> Does anybody know what that phrase was? Any, just maybe a history buff? This is what 
people often said to each other. There's a war on. There's a war on. Like, tell me something I didn't know, right? I mean, that's kind of what we think. No, duh. There, but, but that phrase was an acknowledgement that everybody needed to sacrifice. That, that this is a different time that we're living in. There is a war on, just to remind each other. To encourage each other that the sacrifice is worth it. Because if we don't sacrifice and we lose World War II, not just other nations, but in fact our nation could have fallen into to extreme darkness. And spiritually, that is what's going on as well. As long as we live in this fallen, sinful, enemy-influenced world, we need to remember that we are in enemy territory. There is a war on. And we need to stay prepared and ready. We need to stand firm in faith and love and hope. And we are able to do that when we have the right attitudes. And when we don't forget that God isn't just present, he's not just watching all of this happen, as we experience the struggle, he's here with us, walking with us, filling us with the power, uh, indwelling us with the Holy Spirit, strengthening us, helping us to be able to stand up against. Uh, Verse 6, Paul says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. See, they were doing it. They had been told that this was going to happen and they were being able, they they were standing. He he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. We can be encouraged by others in their faith. We can encourage others with our faith as we go through adversity with the right attitude. For that's when we really live. Paul is so relieved to hear that they haven't given in to the lies, that they haven't fallen, that they've maintained their faith. They haven't given in to the theological rabbit trails or their own personal selfishness. They're standing strong in their faith and love. And may that be true of us too. Let's stand strong in our faith and love as our comfort zones are squeezed on a daily basis. Now, next week, we're going to continue in chapter 3, and we're going to look at what really living looks like. Because we we are constantly fed a lie in the United States of America of what really living looks like. And and we're going to look at what really living looks like. I, I hope you'll join us. And now as the worship team returns to the stage and Rob gets ready to lead us once again in communion, I want to leave us with two images. And, and I want you to decide this morning... Which crew you are a part of. Which ship you are on. The first one is a cruise ship. And, and it represents, who doesn't like a cruise, right? I mean, personally, best vacation I've ever been on. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to drive anywhere. I, very few decisions other than, do I eat pizza at midnight? You know, you don't have to make your bed. None of it. You know, you get to go to shows. Very comfortable. 
very comfortable on a cruise ship. So, are you a cruise ship Christian? Uh, is your goal in life just to figure out how to, you know, just kind of sail on through, go to sleep, wake up at the next port, enjoy the beach, you know, maybe go on an excursion, get back on the ship, go to sleep, wake up, next port, do the same thing? Is, is that the type of, of Christianity that you're, that you're wanting to live? See, that's not the life that God has ordained for any of us as Christ followers. No, th- this is more the reality here. That's it. As a Christ follower, we are on that ship. And, and, and if you think that you're on the cruise ship, you're just sleeping and you're dreaming and you're going to get caught without your flak jacket and your pants down and you're going to end up dead, a casualty to the battle that's happening around you. We need to live our lives like, like, like God meant us to live them. In this world, there will be trouble. We don't have to fear, though. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. We need to trust him. And we need to face those hard things, expecting them, not seeking them, but being prepared for when they show up. We don't have to fear because Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray that we've all been encouraged this morning, that, that the fact that there's trouble in this world is, isn't, it's just a reality. And I pray, Father, that you would help us Help us to have that peace. Help us to have that strength that comes only in a relationship with you. And Father, if there's anybody that's, uh, that's watching or listening or here today who's not exactly sure if they've surrendered their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them the courage and strength to, to maybe jot a note down and have a conversation with, with a pastor or, or someone else here at the church that they know who, who's a Christ follower. And Lord, now as Rob comes, I pray that you would draw our hearts. Help us to focus on you. As we remember the sacrifice that you made in Jesus' name. Amen. And you'll start to see how what I'm going to say